Hi and welcome to Stephen Kai Fix the World, a chat show about things that might just be bollocks. Today's episode is about Brexit. Was that a hard enough Brexit, or should I be a bit softer? I, for one, absolutely hate the hard Brexit, soft Brexit thing. We're not boiling an egg. <laughs> no, we're definitely not doing that. Should we uh, reveal how we voted? Yeah, cool. So, three, two, one. Remain. Leave. Oh, we've got to have a fight. Oh, sh- Where are my knuckle <laughs> So, what made you vote leave? Um, not... Not one thing in particular. For for me, it's an economic issue as well as a political issue, which is the most vague thing I could say. But say you have a look at um, Greece, for example. I don't know if you've come across, like, Yanis Varoufakis. I don't know anything about Yanis Varoufakis. Um, all right, so he's the... He was the Greek interior minister, I want to say. Something like that. He's, he's an academic... Uh, economist, and he was in charge of the Greek government when uh, the Greek bailout crisis was happening. And I, if you're into that sort of stuff, I would implore you to to check out Yanis Varoufakis's stuff because it highlights a lot of problems within the EU. Um, so, like for example, where he wanted Greece to default on their debt. They were not allowed to do that by the EU and the the Eurogroup, European Commission, all that sort of stuff, which I think is crossing a line of self-determination for Greece. If they have found themselves in too much debt, then they should be able to default if they want to, because it's a Greek decision. Um, The other side of it is, so you take like the 2008 financial crisis, um, and this is a really, really boring point, I'm sorry, but... You've got two things which go on within the EU. So you've got monetary policy and fiscal policy, which surprisingly are two different things. So so monetary policy is how much is your currency worth? How do you manage your currency? How much of it do you print, etc., etc.? Whereas fiscal policy is how much do you spend? And that ties in with the um, Copenhagen conditions. That's difficult to say. Which means that your economy's numbers have to run within a certain set of parameters. So you can only have so much public debt to GDP ratio, that kind of stuff. And um, when we saw the 2008 financial crisis happen, it definitely wasn't an accident that the entirety of the Eurozone decided to bail out the banks altogether, all at the same time, all to a very similar tune. And if you didn't want that, then that wasn't something that you got to decide on at the time as a British uh, voter or as a British uh, person because that was already kind of decided at the EU level um, and then we can kind of in a sense and this sounds a bit tinfoil hatty um, we can kind of in a sense ascribe austerity as an EU policy um, the reason for that is immediately after bailing out the banks our national debt quadrupled right which means that um we're outside of these Copenhagen conditions. And the next thing that the EU prescribes for that is to rein in public spending. So you spend less on things like the NHS and uh, like the trains, etc., etc. And then you end up in a position where you can't do anything because actually economically we've got to jump through a set of hoops because we're an EU member. And I think that that is wrong. Um, as well, uh, you can see in places like Spain that... Uh, when I was last in Spain, so we went on holiday to Lanzarote, um, all the national park workers were all on strike because um, the national parks are basically being nationalised and the union doesn't, sorry, not nationalised, privatised, and the union doesn't, uh, their union doesn't like that. And we can see a similar thing with the NHS. So I also ascribe the privatisation of the NHS to the EU because that creates an unfair uh, competition for EU companies. It does. Um, and so there is a move within the EU to privatise what we see as public industries almost. Do, does that make sense? It does make sense. 
I voted Remain because I didn't want to see the lizard-faced wanker that is Nigel Farage. <laughs> <laughs> the entire campaign, despite there being good reasons for leaving, and believe it or not, I was in favour of leaving the EU. I just didn't feel that the time was right, and I didn't feel that the campaign being fought by the Leave group, I didn't think that it was based on those facts. And the way it was being ascribed, and, and the way I saw it in a lot of the media that I saw, which is possibly due to the media that I saw, felt very like it was based on xenophobia of of migrant workers and this promise about 350 million for the NHS every week I didn't believe for a second and as an NHS worker we've none of that money has yet to be seen has yet to be seen which We're it wouldn't which yet. it wouldn't be <laughs> we haven't left yet <laughs> but I still find it hard to believe that you know they, they can't just redirect that money it's not just a case of redirecting that money um we've already seen an issue because of the um, leave vote of the number of registered EU nurses has dropped by an order of magnitude. So yeah, one year man. we had a thousand registered nurses from the EU register with the with the mid, with, uh, nursing and midwifery council. I think, and I'd have to check my numbers on this. I think only eleven signed up the next year. Mm. That's a hell of a drop. And these, and this is just nurses. Where this doesn't take into account auxiliary staff. This doesn't take into account. Um, EU workers such as porters, uh, domestics. Um, it's definitely in the trusts I've worked in. We have a heavy, heavy um, support group of EU workers who work in just as the, in the domestic and the cleaning staff. And without those, without those staff, the NHS will crumble. And I don't think the impact was fully assessed on what on the on the NHS of losing those EU workers. Well, it almost certainly wasn't, because I don't know if you saw in the news, but David Davis came out and said that there was no impact assessment done no. on Britain leaving the EU. And why the other, the problem I've found so as well is the government was too complacent. They thought they were going to win the vote to, to remain. I don't think for a second it crossed anyone's mind that we were actually going to vote leave. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, I think David Cameron was definitely caught by, by caught surprise. His, I think he was caught with his trousers down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that is the, ex the correct expression. He was caught with his trousers around his ankles and the, the only choice he had was to resign. And that just shows how much faith he had in the British people. It was just not... In, it was it was complacency. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's own political move, isn't it? Because... Um, obviously in Britain we've got the first past the post system which means that when you've got a party on the right like well typically on the right uh, like the Conservatives and then you get uh, like UKIP that turn up who are to the right of the Conservatives that tends to split the Conservative vote so people who are more right than the Conservatives will tend to go for UKIP and then um, the people slightly to the left of UKIP will tend to vote for the Conservatives and to prevent that happening obviously um, David Cameron offered a referendum to the British public, so it's kind of short-term political bargaining has yeah. has ended up uh, with a major decision for the, probably the remainder of the UK's existence. Yeah, and I remain sceptical of the Brexit claims of what it will do for us. Um, we hear reports that certain industries are doing well because uh, after even after Brexit, so certain manufacturing industries, but. A couple of factories selling a couple more tractors isn't enough to support the entire economy. We need mm -hmm. one of the biggest cash cows in the UK is the City of London and the financial services industry. You know, whereas uh, you know these factories and industries might bring in a few billions of pounds, the banking industry brings in far more money. And my concern and what I've seen in in the media is that a lot of these big banks are now worried about the impact, about the tariffs that the EU could now impose, and are having to consider moving their headquarters out of the UK. And that's a massive loss for this, not just for London, but for the, for the whole of the UK. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, for me, there, there's a kind of anger there, isn't there? Um, it, it feels almost like the banks have messed up, we've bailed them out, 
and then the second things get difficult, they leave. And you think, okay, that cheers, guys. Yeah. Um, but what I would also say is that the reason why the financial sector is so big in Britain is, is directly because of Margaret Thatcher. She, yeah. she readjusted the economy and made it focus on tertiary industry, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. And it means that we've become reliant on institutions like yeah. the EU. Um, for, for me, though, uh, I kind of subscribe to the World Trade, Trade Organization's viewpoint, which, which is broadly that, that customs unions aren't, aren't so great um, because they're, they're bad for consumers um, and protect businesses which may not actually be all that competitive, which pushes mm. prices up. Yeah. Um, and if we look at, um, say, we, say, we take, say we take China, for example, China's a very protectionist economy, um, and they've seen a huge amount of growth. They've gone from very little in the past 20 years to being a, a world powerhouse. And really the important thing for capitalism, in my mind, is the ability to grow. And the EU is, by and large, a developed economy. So we've actually got a lot of opportunity to get involved with other economies which haven't developed yes. as much and yeah. we can capitalise on that because we yeah. have all the institutions yeah. that yeah. they would need. Yeah. And one of the things I do agree with Brexit about is there is a, a, a notion that controlling our borders for immigration could be a good thing because although you know the, the free movement of workers is, is, has a, is and has been a very important and useful tool for us, it's worth noting that with a different type of border system in place it does mean that we could we could import more talent from from other countries in the world and still meet our targets for immigration or emigration so you know there are nurses coming from places like the philippines I, i'm harping on about nurses in the nhs but that's where that's i work you know. as i know but we can bring in skilled work from around the world and having a, a new border system where people can't just wandering from any up from Europe the pros that would be importing we would we would have less uncontrolled immigration so more controlled immigration to import the skills like nurses doctors even lawyers and um, people who work for the financial sector who can who can benefit the economy in a number of ways so that I do agree with but there's always a cost and what is that cost we don't is is yet to really be seen and I don't think we're going to know the full impact of Brexit until it's until was it 2019 when we officially when we finally yeah, we push the button when the button is pushed and that's it depends who pushes the button first us to leave Brexit or Trump on the nuclear button oh gosh yeah uh, uh, <laughs> no I was, I was waiting for that to come up um we'll save that we'll save we'll that save that bit. one um yeah so Im immigration to me is is I by and large agree, um, but I'd say that Britain was never part of the Schengen area. You can't you can't wander into Britain like you no. can from you have to Germany get, to yeah. France. You have to get a boat or train or fly. And you have to go through a border. Yeah. Um, and we definitely check who, who does come in and out. We don't necessarily know because it's millions and millions and millions of people. Yeah. Um, but we've never had... Uh, some sort of open door policy. No, we haven't um, got a revolving door to just let people come wandering in. I'm, I'm aware of that. Um, so I I kind of disagree with the Brexit camp on that, despite having voted to to leave. Because mm. um, I, I don't think immigration's a, a problem. I haven't seen it be a problem. I I know there are there are stories of the media of people coming in from the country, undesirable people coming into the country, people with criminal records, criminals, and there there has been a problem with homelessness, um, homeless people, you know, people who come to the country perhaps seeking work and ended up unfortunately being stuck stuck here living on the streets because they just can't afford the means to get home. Mm -hmm. um, that is a problem, and as a society we've. It is a failure of society that that's happened. We, these are vulnerable. These are you know, homeless people are vulnerable people who need, who do need some help and possibly support to get back. And as a society, I do feel it is our responsibility sometimes to get these people home. If there's, um, so we should deport homeless 
immigrants. I don't think we should deport is the right word. <laughs> That's what you're saying, get them home. <laughs> it's a case of if they want to go home and if they're here because they have nowhere and because they can't physically get home, if we're offering them the chance to get home and they have somewhere to go back in their home country, such as family, but they, it's not always... It's not always physically possible for someone who's sleeping on the streets here to be able to afford a train fare back to somewhere. It's not always possible. Mm-hmm. It's not. There's a moral issue, and there was a, moral, a case of councils offering homeless people train tickets to different areas, one-way train tickets. Yeah, so... that the... That's different to what I'm saying. What I'm suggesting is that people who are here who can't get home is to help them get home, not not trying just to push the problem somewhere else. It's, it's a different thing, I'm saying. I think people will misconstrue that quite easily. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with that one. Uh, to, to me, I, I, I try and be as practical as possible when it, when it comes to the issue of homelessness. Because, you know, you can put up homeless spikes and you can move people yeah. on and that kind of stuff, but ultimately it's really inefficient. And it is. We don't get the benefit of people having a job and being stable and paying taxes if you don't help them out in the first yeah. place. And I think ultimately it would cost the taxpayer less money to support homeless people more adequately and get them yeah. back on their feet rather yeah. than just constantly kind of keep moving every, them on. Every week you hear a story about some, some homeless veteran of of the Iraq war who's come out of the army has not has has nothing has suffered from post-traumatic stress and ended up being unable to readjust to normal life because they're just not given the support mm. and it's we need to be identifying what causes homelessness in the first place um but we've kind of gone off topic from brexit there well no because I, I think this is this is related to the economy on the whole yeah um and i i'm not sure what the figure is but We've seen an astronomical rise in the amount of homelessness. We have. Um, particularly since the Conservative government's come in. Because yes. they've obviously reduced provisions for for yeah. people on benefits or who need who need financial support. We've yeah. also seen a, an explosion in food bank usage. Yeah. We've seen nurses and people in that sort of profession using home using food banks because they're just not able to able to afford the cost of living in some areas and the fact you've got people like that relying on on food banks is something has failed somewhere mm. and the only the obvious whipping post is the conservative government that we have at the moment and they are the ones who are making the policies they are the ones holding the purse strings and my opinion on the conservative government is not exactly a nice one when Theresa may said there is no magic money tree and then gives a billion pounds to Northern Ireland. Yeah. Um, that was a rather contentious issue. Yeah, because she, she miscalculated a, a political move. Yeah. So that, that cost the rest of Britain money. Yeah. Um, it, it was the most expensive election I've held. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think so. Just because it's cost a billion pounds. It's cost... It's, it's, I mean, Northern Ireland does need the money. There's no... Northern Ireland has got its own issues, but it shouldn't have had... It shouldn't have got to the point where that the money should not have just been given out of desperation to to hold on to cling onto power. It's almost like a bribe. I don't want to say a bribe because that's probably the wrong term a for bung. it. A bung. Yeah, it's called the bung parliament in yeah. newspapers. Um, yeah. And the DUP have rebelled against the Conservative government already. I believe. I think they they. They've already got their own issue. They've got their own opinions on on the Irish border. Yeah. Um, well, because they are, well, the, the Democratic Unionist Party. So they're always going to be at odds with the likes of Sinn Fein, mm. and I think their criticism of the Brexit uh, negotiations to do with Northern Ireland um, is kind of legitimate. Because it would separate Northern Ireland from the UK, which looks a lot like Northern Ireland becoming part of the Irish Republic, which is what the DUP don't want. Mm. And this is part of the problem with um, the government effectively 
being in power with one side of the Northern Ireland, yeah. Ireland government. Because regardless of what you think about the border, picking a side and sponsoring a side is not going to be helpful for no. sorting the issue out. No, it's not. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens at the next general election because of that. And I, I would not be surprised if another election gets called before it's due because the government's grip on power is loosening so much. And with by-elections happening, with various MPs standing down because of certain allegations that are being made. Oh, is that that sexual yeah, abuse thing? Yeah, sexual abuse. And yeah, okay. But, uh, so, okay, right, that is... Is a whole nother thing. That is a whole nother thing. <laughs> um, so, I mean, when it comes when it comes to that, I, I don't know if you've seen the type of stuff that's on that document. I haven't seen it. Um, I've been choosing to avoid it. Um, so, so when it comes down to it, you've got some serious cases of sexual abuse there, and some slightly more. I don't want to say less serious, but. Um, like misogynistic behaviour, which is yeah. not necessarily physically violent or anything like that. But there's one guy who's on that list, right? Because he married somebody in his office, right? And has two kids with her. Mm. And that they are now married. And mm. apparently that's an abuse of power. Um, now, I'm not saying that nothing that relationship is perfect, but it's not really... A crime to fall in love no. with a, a co-worker and marry them. No, well, I um, did. <laughs> yeah, I did. That's I, how I, I met think, my wife. Yeah, I think that's so, totally normal. Yeah. Um, I think the problem with these sexual abuse or these scandals that keep breaking is, and I know I'll be crucified. I'll be crucified. But there is this. It's in real danger of ending up being the boy who cried wolf. Mm. If these allegations keep the allegations keep coming out and the real if any any fake any fake claims will be put in with the rest and then people are going to be put at risk of having their careers destroyed through what could be an untruth and eventually people are going to start saying oh it's just another allegation how do we know that's true how do we know that's true yeah so no, no, real no. victims yeah. are going to end up being marginalized and losing their their voice and people are making the claims because they think oh i can take this person down or get compensation are going to end up ruining it for the real victims and I'm very con that's a, a real concern I have about the way this is the way it's going well yeah I think there's a tendency to pick up um, that kind of stuff and how do I put this in and of itself there because of the keenness to pick up on that trivial stuff which does trivialize victims yeah. suffering um, that shows a kind of bias too. Um, there was, I saw it on Reddit because I spend a lot of time on Reddit because I'm a loser. No, I'm not a loser. I'm, not everybody on Reddit is a loser. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and it just needs to go outside more. Is what I mean. Um, but there was somebody who uh, she accused something like nine guys of uh, sexual crimes, so like really mm. serious stuff, like gang rape, yeah. and. Uh, a lot of them went to jail, and it turns out she made it up. Yeah. Now, that to me makes me very cross, because there can't have been any evidence, really, other than what she said and her yeah. testimony, because it, it didn't happen. Mm. Um, but the other thing which, on another level, kind of winds me up, is the fact that that got picked up so quickly and blew up so much, it shows a kind of keenness to victim blame in a sense yeah D does does that make sense it does make sense victim blaming is an awful awful thing when we start blaming the victims for the crimes that have happened to them we end you know we end up marginalizing the victims and it discourages victims from coming forward to talk about their abuse and then on the other hand we've got false victims who are cl making claims that, that can't be proven meaning that when a real victim does come forward, people are treating it with more scepticism. And there's a real, oh, what do we do? Who's, who's, you know, how do we handle that? And it's, yeah, it's, it's especially with historical sex abuse cases, that's where it's very difficult because what evidence, the evidence is there. Mm. And, you know, we, it, I feel very, you know, it, the victims need, need to have justice. 
that what's the statutory limit on that and what evidence can be attained so that's it's going to be one of those questions without an easy answer i think uh yeah it it just is but talking about the legal system Mm. um we've got we've got a bit of a situation with brexit coming back to that because what do we do about all of the laws that the EU has passed, and we've kind of got a bill which goes, yeah, we'll we'll just sign it all into to law, and then I think <laughs> my understanding, which could be incorrect, is that it's far simpler to just sign all of those into our law and then unpick them and undo them than it would be to put them in one by one by one by one. To vote them in would take more time than it would to unpick them. Mm. So. If we sign them into law, we can then go, no, we don't need that one, we don't need that one. Some of them might become unenforceable or just relict, so then we can just basically ignore them. And Mm -hmm. I suspect that the courts will play a role in unpicking some of these laws when when cases are brought forwards where the laws may need... (coughs) Where laws have been... No, we're going to dub a massive burp. (laughs) <laughs> over the top of it <laughs> we're gonna make it sound huge we're gonna like loads of reverb <laughs> so when a case comes into the courts that is in contrary to one of these laws or, or one of these laws impacts then that's when that law may be undone or the courts may rule no that law isn't valid now but there's a lot of bullshit flying around like the shape of bananas that was something that went around for quite a few years back, is that the EU said bananas had to be straight. No, they didn't. There's no EU law or regulation on the shape of bananas. I looked it up. There's no rule about these bananas have to be a certain bendiness or certain straightness. No, no there isn't. Okay. So, when people talk about EU laws, a lot of them, I mean, some of them are quite similar to laws we have already, like the weights and measures. Mm-hmm. We already have weights and measures in place. I think the EU had their own sort of system, which kind of... It's called the metric system. Yeah, the metric system. <laughs> they, already have, they have the metric system. So some, some of them are just are unnecessary, but they will just be chucked out as and when. Well, so, how do I put this? A court can't turn around and say, this law is invalid. Mm-hmm. It, that That's a job for Parliament to do. A court can rule a law being to be... I know in America they can rule it to be unconstitutional. That They can make a ruling which would set a precedent. Again, so they can... They can. They do have power to maybe not change the law, but they can put a... They can, they can make a ruling. And a, quite often they'll be referred to as a test case. So a, a case will be brought and it could be brought against the law. I mean, I'm going to take bananas as a as an example if there was a law saying a banana could have to be a certain percentage bent and mr jenkins was selling bananas at his market stall that weren't quite the right eu shape a judge is probably going to turn around and rule that as being absolutely bananas <laughs> i see what you do yeah there. i see what you and we'll rule and say that this law has no place that so that case could be thrown out and then that will set a standard and that can go to Parliament who can then basically turn around and say, yeah, that law's... You know, we've got cases where this law is being used against your banana seller at the local market and we can unpick it. Yeah. Um, We're going to be here for the next 150 years doing that. Yeah, these laws are going to be sat in place and they will be relict. It is a word. um, It's a word, relict. Relict. Yeah. I, I've had a relict guitar before. Yeah. But I've... Yeah. Law. A law can be relict. It can be something that's left over from a time gone by that nobody enforces. You hear about the urban legends like being able to shoot a Scotsman with a crossbow at midnight in Wales or something ridiculous. I can't remember what the urban legend was. It, that's not a real law, by the way. You can't go shooting Scotsmen with crossbows, but that would be a relict law because nobody uses crossbows anymore. We're not at war with Scotland, so we don't really have a need to shoot Scotsmen with crossbows. So that's a relict. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes that makes sense. Yeah. Um. I mean, this is, and again, it's another really boring point because 
I, I actually think that the EU is one of the most insufferably boring organisations there is. And I tried not to yeah. think about it before we had all this yeah. referendum and guff. But one of, the, one of my criticisms of the, the EU is how dense the laws are. I understand how we need to have uh, products which are developed to a certain standard to be safe, to be sold in the single yeah. market, or we need to have... Um, we need to have like common laws so that we can move safely around in yeah. in each other's countries. Th- that I get, but there is a certain point where it becomes a bureaucracy and you're just jumping through hoops to be able to sell into that market. Yeah. And I think that intentionally sometimes, and this is me kind of... Tinfoiling up again? Yeah, tinfoil hatting this. I think intentionally that is used to lock out certain producers because they will never be able to jump through those legal hoops. It, it's definitely in place to, to protect the single market. And I suspect that countries like China and manufacturers from outside of the EU do spend a lot of time and effort just having to conform to these EU laws. And the cost of such was probably prohibitive. So, as you said about the World Trade Organization, using those, going by those terms, it does make a lot of sense not to not be in the single market or not be part of the EU because it opens up the rest of the world for trade and it, it means that other countries can compete and companies can start competing again mm. because they might have a different standard. I don't think the EU is some big evil conglomerate with you know big mus- twirled moustaches that they sit there around the table going, oh, who can we over this week? No. I think you're right about the bureaucracy. It's have you have you ever watched Futurama? Yeah, of course I've watched. Have Futurama. you seen the central bureaucracy in the Futurama? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bit like it's, the DMV. Yeah, in it's it's like that. It is a big behemoth that has got so many layers to it now that it is virtually impenetrable, mm. for especially for the outside. And the UK's impact of leaving that. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting for a lot of manufacturers. Like, Segways aren't legal in Europe. Are they not? I don't think so. I think I... they failed to meet some EU directive. Have you ever seen a Segway around England? Uh, ooh, no. But if I did see one, it would be a brutal be Segway. Brutal. It's the brutal Segway! So, um, this is a segment called The Best of Reddit. One of my favourite subreddits is uh, the Today I Fucked Up subreddit. And uh, this one is from a guy who fucked up by not by pretending to not be a Korean. So, here goes. So I'm a Korean-Canadian, but was born in Canada, and I've grown up here my entire life. I speak Korean, but it's about the level of a talented ten-year-old with a funny Canadian accent. The fuck-up happened yesterday. I'm walking down the sidewalk, and who I assume are a man and his daughter, in brackets, who appears around my age, close brackets, are puzzling in Korean over a directory sign. I ask, in Korean, if they need any help. The dad seems excited to meet somebody who speaks Korean. The girl seems shy and doesn't say much besides thanks. They're looking uh, for a nearby mall, so I offer to walk them over there since the train station I need is nearby anyway. The dad asks me where I learned to speak Korean so well. So this is where the fuck up actually begins. I'm pretty, in- it, blah, blah, I'm pretty insecure about my spoken Korean. So when the dad asks where I learned the language, it sounds like he thinks it's obvious I'm not actually Korean. It doesn't help that his daughter is ridiculously pretty and I want to impress her for some reason. So, I lie. A stupid idea. I'm actually Chinese and learned Korean on my spare time, changing my skills from mediocre for a Korean person to impressive for a Chinese person. Alas, the dad immediately switches to Mandarin, which I can't speak a word of. This would have been the uh, this would have been the time to come clean. Instead, panicking at having been exposed, I do my best, confused face, and then pretend I misspoke and said Korean word for Chinese, Jungkook, when in fact I meant Japanese, Ilbon. <laughs> Sorry, my Korean isn't very good, right? Of course, the daughter suddenly bursts into fluent and excited Japanese, which I almost I, which. I also can't speak a word of. I'm in too deep at this point and can't tell them 
uh, I'm Vietnamese or some other variety of Asian without making myself look even more suspicious. So I, I do the only logical thing and say I'm indeed Japanese but don't actually speak Japanese but learn Korean because, lol, I'm a traitor to my Japanese heritage. <laughs> <laughs> we reach the mall and I'm all too happy to bail at this point. But the girl, who suddenly seems super interested in me, asks, now in practically perfect English, damn polyglots, what I do. I say I go to the local university. She excitedly tells me that she's starting the same university in September <laughs> and that she just arrived in Canada from Korea. Her dad seems just as excited by this news and asks me to take care of her once school starts and he goes back to Korea. It turns out the girl is actually Japanese who went on some exchange program in Korea for a few years and the dad is actually her Chinese-born Korean teacher sp stroke sponsor who accompanied her to Canada. So, not only did I pretend to not be Korean to two people who weren't even Korean, but I pretended to be Chinese to a Chinese man, <laughs> and now have convinced the Japanese girl that I'm Japanese. So I exchanged contact information with a girl, and we've been talking a lot online since. Turns out she's super nice and funny and interesting and uh, accomplished. We have a ton in common too. We have the same major, and we're the same age, though she's three years behind me because of her exchange programme. She seems super stoked to be friends with me since she doesn't know anybody in Canada and has been talking to me a lot. I'm becoming increasingly aware that I can't pretend to be Japanese forever <laughs> to this girl and I need to tell her I'm actually Korean but early on asked me about my family and I went even deeper into the lie telling her that my parents are from Kyoto. I picked a random city, etc. I've done fucked up Reddit and I feel terrible about it. So what, what did he... Uh, what was the TLDR on that? Uh, the TLDR is... I'm Korean, pretended to be Chinese to a Chinese man, and then pretended to be Japanese to an awesome Japanese girl, and now I'm her first friend in Canada, based on a dirty lie. <laughs> right, there are a couple of edits which are attached to this, because this is really blown up. Uh, there are 2,141 comments on it. <laughs> it uh, I can't see the karma. Ah, oh, 23.8 thousand up dudes. So, um... That's a lot of karma, so she might actually see this. Um, edit. Oh, fuck, I think she just asked me out, but I'm not sure, and I haven't completely come clean yet. <laughs> oh, God. Edit, night of the second day. Thank you all for the sage advice. I have not perished of seppuku, as some have feared, although it is increasingly, it is increasingly seeming the most promising solution. <laughs> I'm sure she'd oblige me and do the beheading part. Anyway, uh, I do think we're going on a date tomorrow, and I thought I should come clean in person rather than over text. We'll keep you all updated, in brackets, unless I die. I haven't even been on a date in over two years. That's already blowing my mind, especially her asking me out. As some of you pointed out, I'm kind of concerned that she's only interested in me because she thinks I'm Japanese. But I think it's more to do with her being more comfortable in a foreign country, Canada, when, we've, uh, when her first friend is a fellow Japanese person. Maybe I'm terrible at social cues and she just wants to hang out as a friend. In any case, I'll explain it all to her tomorrow and in the hopes of being a little less of an asshole, there's no solving this problem completely. Wish me luck in as many languages as you can. Reddit. Gashi. Gamashi. Shahi. Minda. My Japanese is terrible. Let's have a look. Sayonara Reddit, right. Sayonara Reddit. So, that is what you do not do. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> Have you ever done anything like that? Yeah. What I was done? once walking home, I think it was in London, it was years ago. I can't remember, I can't remember if it was London or somewhere, it was a big city. I can't remember, I spent most of my uni years completely pissed. And I was walking home and I got asked for some directions by some tourists and I didn't know where to go. So the only instinct I had was to start speaking German because I'd learnt German at the GCSE level. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, but, uh, turns out they spoke German. Meine Deutsch ist katastrophisch. Yeah, so I had to kind of <laughs> bail at that point and just just kind of look at them blankly and I just kind of 
ran. Like, I'm Swiss. <laughs> just kind of ran. I was just like, Bruh. but yeah. Um, lesson there, kids. Don't pretend to be foreign because the people you're talking to might just know what you're talking about. Yeah, fair, fair. I think the probably the worst one I've done is um, my second language is Spanish, um, but I'm not not that great at it. Um, so what I didn't realise is for about six months that the word for hot in Spanish is caliente, not in fact calcetine, which means sock. I have definitely told more than one Spanish person that the sun is sock. <laughs> not a sock, just the sock. sun is sock. <laughs> the, the other really terrible one is años, which is written with an ñ, it's an N with a squiggle. But without the ñ, so if you just go anos, that means anuses. And I have definitely said I have 27 anuses by accident in Spanish. <laughs> Oh. The thing about learning foreign languages is you do stumble across words which sound like other words. And... Yeah, like to, to fart in German is to drive. Yeah. So you fart your car across Germany. <laughs> which sounds like a game that will never end well. <laughs> Doesn't sound like something that will end well, does it? Or in Polish, the, the word to be is bitch. <laughs> to bitch or not to bitch? That is the question. That is indeed the question. But at any rate, at, at any rate, wow, haven't done that in a long time. At any rate, we don't need to learn any foreign languages because we're leaving the EU. Yes. <laughs> and as British people, for some reason, we seem to feel like we don't need to make an effort with other languages. That's an interesting one, though, isn't it? Because we, we in our schools, we, we, we do teach languages, but we don't push the teaching of them, I don't think. Not like other countries do. I mean... Whenever I've been abroad or I've been to places where people do speak another language, everyone has been more than happy to speak English and use their English skills. But when they come here, English people just don't seem to have that same drive to learn other languages. I think that's kind of caused by English's almost like unique status. It is unique. It is almost it is almost the universal um, language. I think two point. 7 billion I think it is yeah. people speak English as a, in total and there are about half a billion native speakers of English yeah. um, so it's kind of like the, the lingua franca of, of the world and I kind of get I don't want to say annoyed because um, I'm, I'm always happy to help but whenever I uh, go on holiday people try and speak English to me and I, I'm yeah. really keen to try and learn another language even if I come out saying yeah. things like I have 27 anuses. 27 anuses. Um, <laughs> um, but people would rather practice their English, it feels like. It does feel like that. I recently went to Hong Kong and I don't speak a word of any any dialect of Chinese. So while I was there, I was essentially being shown around by my wife, who does speak um, Chinese. and Cantonese, isn't it, in Hong Kong? It's Cantonese, but there's also... Um, regional dialect called Hakka, which is like the only way like, it's like Welsh is to English. It's just like, totally unrelated. Totally unrelated, but still a form of Chinese. Okay. Yeah. Um, so because of that, a lot of the time was spent having to have her translate things. Or when I was being spoken to in English, the the people were very keen to speak to me in English. There was no attempt to ask me in in them. They didn't try and ask me things in their native language. Whereas here, I don't know a single shopkeeper who would actually try and talk to someone in in their native language. I mean, we we do have a few shops, especially in where, around where we live. We do have a few sort of the Polish supermarkets around now, mm -hmm. and those staff are, all, are bilingual. But on the whole, you don't are because we don't teach languages in this country like they they do in other countries. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm always amazed when I bump into, and this is totally generalising. So I'm so sorry if this is. This is construed as like positive racism, but it's normally somebody from like Denmark or Sweden, yeah. um, where it, their language skills are incredible. Yeah. I, I have never met somebody who's from from Denmark who's been like not fluent in like three languages. Mm. Maybe that's just my experience, but I think it is taught very differently on the yeah. continent, isn't it? Whereas we kind of get complacent because we go, "Well, English is the universal language." Yeah, and I think that I think. 
we have cinema to blame for a lot of that. A lot mm. of the big films, a lot of the big money films, like I mean, things, stupid things like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, a lot of those were done in English and they do get redubbed into the into various foreign languages, but people still choose to play them. And I think the online gaming uh, sort of world has got a lot to play for that as well. I've used to play World of Warcraft more than obsessively. Um, it's basically what kept me going through my music degree was having to... You should have practised. Could have been practising, <laughs> but no, I chose to spend it on Warcraft, practising a different sort of skill. Yeah, and better life skills in World of Warcraft. A lot of the people I played with were of different nationalities, and I was once playing in a group of good 40 people, and we had our, and we had voice chat. And I was in a group with Polish people, Germans, Dutch, Scandinavian, I think there was a couple of French and Spanish people there, I think there was even some Russians, everyone was speaking good English and I think that is a, a big driver for why so many people speak English now is because it is it is almost a universal language now it is not just confined to England and America and the you know the colonies as it were <laughs> the commonwealth, the commonwealth. Is, the, is the correct term yeah no. <laughs> so it's not just confined to the commonwealth it is now a part just a part of national everything of the the world language, that Spanish and um, Spanish and Portuguese, two of them are quite widespread languages, and Chinese simply on the volume of people who speak it. Mm, yeah, um, I mean Spanish is obviously a, a really, really big language, isn't it? It's got significantly more than than Portuguese um, yeah. in terms of the number of speakers. Yeah, um, we have because we. It's quite a widespread language. It spreads from we've obviously got Spain, and a lot of South America speaks Spanish or Portuguese, and mm. I think it's quite a common language in a few other parts of the world. I mean, even in America, it's quite quite wide, especially in the southern states of America. It's quite well. America's quite, next to Mexico. We we tend yeah. to forget that, and there's obviously lots of it's quite a porous border. You know, people kind of people cross cross the border yeah. for just. I mean, I think some people cross the border just for daily commutes. Mm. Yeah, so it is a language that's almost a necessity, and I I think it's almost it's a shame that we don't have more language education in this country. But I think the problem in that is that what language if we were going to teach our children one language in schools just so that our kids grew up fluent, what would that language be? We border well, we don't border, but we're in Europe, not the EU, or that's a different thing. We are in Europe and we've got French, German, Spanish, um, Portuguese, Polish, German, Russian, the Scandinavian languages, Swedish, um, Dutch. Uh, I love Dutch. I, have you ever tried to learn any Dutch? I've looked at Dutch and it is, it is great. You, you just like, the Dutch for that is my beer is, that is my beer. Yeah. Or the car is mine, the car is mine. Have you, have you, <laughs> have you ever Google translated the... Um, Morning after pill from German, anti baby pill and anti baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I, I think, is, is wonderful. <laughs> what, what a language! What a word! Well, it's because it's this idea of having an agglutinative language. I think it is. I, mm. uh, I, I'm going to get roasted for this because you've got synthetic languages and then polysynthetic and then agglutinative and agglutinatives tend to stick words together. Yeah. Um. And German's way more agglutinative than English, English yeah. which tends to be synthetic. We, I think our language does tend to meander around a bit. Quite, It's quite descriptive and we will... Well, it's because we've got two words for bloody everything. Yeah. Like, because um, we, what we use, like Germanic grammar and then Latin vocab. Yes. Um, for a lot of it. And, mm-hmm. um, I think the best example of that comes in our meat. If you are eating a sheep, you're eating mutton. If you're eating a baby sheep, or it's a la- you're eating lamb. But then, if you're eating pork, it, you're eating a pig. If it's if you're eating, you know, um, beef, it comes from a cow. Whereas other, lang- not other languages don't have that. Other languages quite will say, "I'm eating pig," "I'm eating cow," or they might say, "We're eating a particular cut of the meat," but. In general, you say the name of the animal, like um, wildfowl. So we call fowl and game 
those words, but when, but actually the animal is duck or pheasant or or deer. Because they're deer, we've got the animal, obviously venison for the meat. Yeah, which is almost, it's like a French thing, isn't it? It's, yes. It comes, does it's... it go back to the Normans? I think it goes back to the Normans. Where and... that, that was where every part of the aristocracy, they're all called Norman. No, nobody knew what the hell was going on in Britain when the Normans were in power. Because no. we'd be like, Norman! And then like 30 noble people would just turn around and be like, hello? Oh no, bonjour. Because they're all, all speaking French. Mm. All French. Mm. Uh, I, think the, I think the origin of language is fascinating, but I am definitely not in a position to, to discuss the full ins and outs of the evolution of language. But I know that our lang- the English language is a hybrid of European languages that's just kind of been smashed into one pot, melted down together, and then rather lazily glooped out to create what language we speak today. Well, it, it, it is and it isn't. Um, English is a, is a mess. Most languages are a mess, really. Um, uh, you need only look at, like, well, <laughs> that we're not the only language which is a mess. I'm not going to insult other languages because I don't speak them fluently. Um, otherwise, I would, <laughs> clearly. Um, but... English used to use um, a lot more kind of grammatical case. Mm. And gradually over time, as non-native people have moved into Britain, so it's, uh, it's become simpler. And what I mean by that is not some kind of crazy right-wing UKIP type thing. Um, so, so when we had um, the Dane law and we had like the Vikings come over, um, a lot of our plurals became simplified like the the old say you took the word egg what is the plural of the word egg eggs yeah eggs right and then that used to actually be eggru the plural of oak used to be ack um, and we still see this system with man and men mm. woman woman yeah. um i shat my pants I shit my pants. Um, you know, it's it's we simplified a lot of it out um, as new speakers came to the English language, which um, actually kind of brings us full circle in a, in a sense because not in a sense we're not coming full circle at all. Sorry, I'll shut up. But uh, a friend of mine shared an article about English almost like dividing between native speakers and non-native speakers so l1 speakers and l2 speakers and uh it was making the case that native speakers should uh police how they how they talk to non-native speakers because we tend to use a lot of idiom and metaphor which the rest of the world just doesn't have because we do we do have um uh a lot of idioms in our languages language and we often use a lot of similes and metaphors as well and there's a thing about i can't remember where it's from so wherever i'm pinching this from but if you taught a lion or an animal to speak english it wouldn't understand a word we're saying because of all the idioms that we're using and cultural references just would not make any sense yeah i mean like cockney rhyming slang who thought that up and then like why would you use that like let's let's go up the the apples 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 and pears and then you just got to guess that that means stairs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Or being all sixes and sevens. Is this another way of saying someone's a bit crazy? Yeah. Um, the dog and bone. Dog and bone. Thomas the tank. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Let's not go for that one. Uh, <laughs> but how? As a non-native speaker, I mean, like, as a native speaker, I had to learn that and kind of get the idea behind it. Yeah. I never use it, but you think, oh yeah. God. I think the other thing of language is that there are some languages which don't have the same concept of time that we do. So we talk about time as in a long time or a short time. So you say, oh, I'm going to be a little while or small time. It's going to take a small amount of time. Whereas others use almost like a weight, like big and small, big and small. Whereas we use long and short and when, when talking about the concept of time. Mm. So there are some times if we, if we said, oh, we're going to be, you know, a little while some languages just don't have the concept of what a little while is it's just not part of they if we say if we explained it as a small you need to say the word little and small Mm. despite being the same 
can mean can actually have completely different connotations to different languages. I need to find the exact video and the way that where, and where they explain that, but it is quite fascinating how these different languages have got different grammatical elements to them that we we just don't have. The other thing is a lot of the Asian languages, such as Japanese, have spoken punctuation. Really? Yeah. Oh, like oh yeah, because okay, so so like in Japanese, you go. Ogenki deska, which is oh, which is a grammatical thing, which points yeah. to like honorability and it also points to the subject, the word. Yeah. Genki is mind spirit, which is which health. Is health. And then des to be, and then yeah. ka is a question mark. Ka is a question mark. But there's also um, particles like ni, which can be a direction marker. Duh. So it talks about <laughs> it talks about travel or des or movement. So oh, okay, yeah. there's that, there's ga, we... which is a topic or subject, or basically when you're, you could be changing the topic. Mm. There's um, to, or to, which can be like and, but it, it can just be when you're forming a list. There's a lot of particles in Japanese, and these particles we just don't have in our language. We kind of do. Um... We have, I mean, and, we have to, we have from, and we have, we do have words like that. But they are... What's the word order like in Japanese? Is it really set? Because in English, when we change the word order of things and the emphasis on things, it can be... Yeah. It can really with, mess with With Japanese, meaning. the particles make a lot of the difference. Oh, so okay. if you use the wrong particle, the set, although a lot of Japanese people would probably understand what we meant, it would still throw things around a little bit. So, mm. and I can't, off the top of my head, it's, I, I couldn't give you an example it's like helping your uncle jack off a horse yeah yeah there is a little bit of that i mean english is awful with that i mean without our punctuation that sentence it has some awful awful meanings yeah like a woman without man is nothing yes that one is a good one um yeah because a woman without her man is nothing yeah, yeah so that's what it's what it is yeah. that can mean be read in several different ways yeah um which is why written which is why i the spoke it is very important when you speak the languages and and some languages the the pronunciation of the word can mean anything through with chinese ma can is there's ma ma me and ma or ma I, I can't quite get them all correct but one of them is horse one of them is mother i think one of them is house so oh yeah this wrong. is like intonation is it yeah so the intonation and the way and the way you say the last syllable can change it what it's saying completely. And if you, I don't know which one's which. I haven't quite mastered that. But one of them could be you could end up calling a mother a horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are a couple of things uh, like that in Welsh, because um, uh, Wales was never actually one big country. Um, although you kind of have this group of people who are called the Welsh. Um, they're called the Welsh by. The, the Saxons that turned up and they all got lumped together. Um, but like North Welsh and South Welsh sometimes have like linguistic differences. So you could you can say some pretty insulting things uh, just by accident. Yeah. <laughs> by speaking the wrong dialect of Welsh. I think there's a joke about that about the end of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Was it? When, yeah, there's a joke about it. When, when the main character says, I'd no, never go anywhere without my trusty towel. And... In the Hitchhiker's Guide, apparently a wormhole opened at that exact moment, and those words travelled down the wormhole, landed at on some um, war in some warring civilizations. They heard those words; they took them to mean an absolute insult, oh. and went and mounted all their spaceships and went to fly to destroy the, to destroy the speaker of the words. And when they came out the other end of the wormhole to destroy them, they got sucked up a vacuum cleaner because <laughs> they were tiny. That's really funny. That is really funny. It, it's worth. It's well, it's not the best film in the world, but it's worth a watch just for that joke because that was one of the funniest jokes in it. Um, I I mean I really like Douglas Adams' writing. Mm. I I love I, I love surrealism because I'm a bit weird, but um, well I, I mean I liked it and I chose at work we have to have an allocated number for our dispensing, and I chose the number forty two as a reference to the yeah. meaning of life, the universe, and everything. I could have had number one. That wasn't that was a number that was offered. But no, I took number 42 because, because I like because I like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I thought, what a number. Yeah, fair, fair. 
I mean, the, the whole um, superstition around numbers is a bit bit strange as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, earlier today I was looking at, what was it? It's the number of the beast, so 666. Um, and people will avoid putting like house numbers as 666. Yeah. Um, like lock, there is a picture of a locker on Reddit. Uh, yeah, it was like there's six six five and six six seven, but there was no six six six. And you think it was a bit like a thirteenth floor, I guess. Yeah, but then some cultures don't perceive the number thirteen as unlucky, so they'll have the number thirteen. But then the number four is unlucky for Chinese. The number four is unlucky. Really? Yeah. So I don't know if they do. They're as superstitious about having not having house number four, but four is an unlucky. So you don't buy someone four or something. You don't. But you also didn't buy them a clock. So it would be a massive insult to buy a Chinese person a clock, apparently. Because apparently it's a sign of wanting, wishing time away for them to die. Oh, yeah, I guess that's what I was told by my wife. So I'm taking that on. So you've bought a clock ever since? Well, I've got two of them in here. (laughs) (laughs) Noisy, bastard clocks. Yeah, I. um... But the number eight is lucky in Chinese culture. Yeah, I knew that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas we have the number seven. Number seven. Lucky number space. seven, yeah. Um we also have I mean unlucky we have the number thirteen, but there's also people an expression is often bad things happen in threes. Mm. Yeah. So you'll hear people say that one quite often. I don't know where that originates from at all. I think people just make stuff up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you you know, sort of if you have you ever been into like numerology and seen like that whole pile of woo? I've never looked into it, but I have a feeling that it would cause my brain to melt in pure rage. Uh, so, I can't think of the term for it, but it, it is literally just confirmation bias. If you look for a number, yeah. you'll find it everywhere. Yeah. It's like you can find anything in the Bible if you look hard enough and, and use use numerology. You can find whatever you want. Well, that's where the number of the beast comes from. It comes yeah. from the Hebrew name, um, and each Hebrew character comes relates to a a number mm. um so it's either 666 or 616 yeah. depending on how you or which hebrew word you use for the name yeah um but yeah i mean sort of the numerology stuff it, it just drives me bananas i mean there are there are numbers which exist in the world which do pop up all the time like mm. the fibonacci sequence is it yeah fibonacci sequence which is a which is a specific set of numbers in a row um that form a conscience so, yeah, it's like one, 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 two, two, three. It, it basically adds the previous number, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes an infinite scale. So that's it's an in, that's that's a sequence that people use in numerology. I think to try and find whatever they're looking for. Um, I mean, there's use of prime numbers, but obviously the more the further you go, the less likely you are to find a prime number. So, to start with, you've got one, three, five, seven, I think 11, 13 are all prime numbers. But after, you know, as you go on, it's the gap between them starts to get a significant amount bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how. I don't know. I know that there is a there's a channel on YouTube dedicated to number five. Yes, that's one of my favourite channels. Yeah, I I have to admit I do watch that a lot because you know I'm a boring person. So no numbers aren't boring. You're not boring because no. that makes me boring. <laughs> <laughs> there are some good math jokes on there though. Yeah, yeah. Um, two cats are sitting on a um, slanted rooftop. Which one falls off first? Don't know. The one with the smaller mew. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. For oh. anybody who doesn't understand that, mu is the coefficient of friction, which means that the one with the smaller coefficient of friction will fall off the roof first. And there are people who have been put into the Hague for less than that. <laughs> the, you deserve to be put on trial for crimes against oh, humour. Should I, should I try a simpler one? Go on then. Okay. What does an accountant do if he has constipation? Works it out with a pencil. One, two, you know what to do. This is the goodbye song, goodbye, goodbye. This is the goodbye song, goodbye. 
This is the goodbye song. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Yeah. Cletus, go get my shotgun. Cletus, Cletus, there's a man coming down the driveway. Grab the boomstick. <laughs> Don't forget to point the loud end to people. Cletus, Cletus, which one of your sisters are going to marry? Oh, God. Don't marry the oldest one. She got real ugly, just like your mother. <laughs> I grew up in Wales, man. That's a bit too close to home. Um...